Well, it's very, very nice to be here. What a brilliant thing the Lord has done among you. Isn't it marvelous? Fantastic. We came this morning and um, saw the building and just were thrilled by what we saw. And then we'd been around all the campus and, wow, it's going to be so much fun, isn't it, getting this place rocking and rolling. How marvelous. The Lord is incredibly good. Um, and of course, it's been our privilege to uh, walk with your leaders for some time now. And, um, and so we've seen the journey from the outside, but to, but to come in on the inside has just been fantastic. This morning, I'm going to um, speak to you from a passage that is really one of the defining passages of the Old Testament in looking forward to what it is that will happen when Jesus comes. And so um, we're going to look at Ezekiel 47 together. And um, it, it may be that this is not the kind of passage that you would normally look at. I mean, it's not like, you know, one of the purple passages of the Bible that everybody refers to. But it's, it's absolutely marvelous. And like so many of the great prophetic passages in Scripture, it ought to have its own soundtrack. Um, because it's... Uh, it's that kind of level, if you know what I mean. It's that, uh, it's that kind of a passage. So I'm going, to, um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read this, and then we're going to see what the Lord has to say, if that's all right. Lord, thank you for your presence with us in worship. Thank you, Lord, that we stand in you, that our righteousness is in you, that our hope is in you, that our faith is in you. And because of that, this day... All of our inheritance as daughters and sons of our Heavenly Father are in you, with you, and upon us this day. Lord, we ask that we might stand in the confidence of that as we read your word. And we ask, Lord, that as we read your word, you would stir in us the concrete reality of the truths that you speak to us. And we pray it. Jesus in your name. Amen. So I don't know how you, how you do this. Do you follow me in your own, you know, smartphones and all that business? Or does it go up there as well? Is Ezekiel 47 going to go up there as well or not? I don't know. It's, it, it doesn't need to. No, you're not going to do that. Good. All right then. So you're just going to have to listen carefully, aren't you? If you haven't got it in front of you. So here we are then. Ezekiel 47 and verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so strap yourself in. The man, that's the angel that's with Ezekiel. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east and the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to my waist. He measured off another thousand. But now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen 
and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to En Eglain. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the great sea, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. So Ezekiel is an educated priest. He is someone from the kind of religious aristocracy in, um, in Jerusalem, and he is part of the exiled people in Babylon. They've all been exiled to Babylon, and he's there seeking to do the best that he can in serving the Lord and serving the people of God. And whilst he's there in this capacity, uh, in this role, the Lord gives him a series of visions. And towards the end of the book of Ezekiel, the visions all focus around the rebuilding of the temple that's been destroyed. The rebuilding of the focus of the faith of the people of God. Because there in the temple, the people of God believe that the presence of God is tangibly present. The, the, the presence of God is tangibly recognized because the temple is the footstool, the touching down point of Almighty God here on earth. And so the rebuilding of the temple is of enormous significance. And so as he, as he has these visions... He, he begins to see in this pictorial form what it is that God has planned for his people. And what he has planned is way more than Ezekiel ever expected. In this symbolic language of the prophecies of Ezekiel, we see the future begin to unfold. We begin to see what it is that God wants, not only for his historic people, the Jews, but for all of the people that will name him as father because of what Jesus does. And as we see that unfold, we see pictures and prophecies that we can apply to ourselves individually and corporately. Now, God has done amazing things among you. He has given you the opportunity of building a community in the inner city of Houston. And so, in many ways, you're already beginning to see the fulfillment of this prophecy among yourselves. But I'm going to just outline what it is that Ezekiel saw, and then I'm going to leave you to draw your own conclusions as to where it is that you are within that picture 
and what it is that God wants to do with you. Okay? So here's the, here's the prophetic picture. There is the temple on Temple Mount, and it's facing in a direction that is unusual. It's facing the east. Now, everything in the east, as far as the Old Testament concerned, is bad. Everything in the east suggests not only foreigners, but enemies. Everything in the west is family. Everything in the east is foreigners. Everything in the west is saved. Everything in the east is lost. Everything in the west is sacred. Everything in the east is sinful. And yet the temple faces east. And here's the thing. In Ezekiel 43, four chapters before the the passage that we just read, the glory of God is coming from the east. And as Ezekiel looks towards the east, towards the rising sun, towards the sinful lost world, he sees God arriving at his temple. And as he comes, he speaks with a voice of many waters, like a giant waterfall. Ezekiel can hear the voice of God like the roaring rumbling of massive cataracts and downfalls as you're standing by that waterfall and you hear that mighty roar. That's the voice of God as he speaks. So the temple is facing east and out from the door under the threshold, it looks like someone's left the tap on. It looks like maybe, maybe somebody's left the plug in the bath and there's no overflow and it's just beginning to trickle. And it's, it's coming under the door. And it's running down the steps in front of the temple. And as it runs down the steps, it, it grows in, in amount and significance and laps up against the altar and then at the altar turns towards the south. So it kind of makes a hard right. It, it, it runs down towards the south. Now here's the thing. The way that Ezekiel saw his temple, people would arrive and come in through the north gate and then all the pilgrims, the worshippers, would leave through the south gate. So So this little trickle of water is following the path of the people of God as they leave worship. And it's beginning to give us a picture of what the people of God should be expecting to do as they leave worship. The water trickles past the altar, out through the south gate. And as it goes out through the south gate, it makes a hard left towards the east. I mean, Ezekiel must have been confused immediately because he knows now that this, that this water signifies the life of God, the life of God flowing with the people of God from the temple courts towards the world. But surely God's life would be going towards the west where the good people live. Surely it would be going towards the west where the family can be found. But instead... It flows towards the east. 
I'm sure with some confusion, Ezekiel follows the angel, and the angel measures off a thousand cubits, which is just a long way. And he, he measures off a long way, and it's ankle deep. Just about deep enough for Lutherans to baptize babies in. It's all safe. Nothing too kind of exceptional. Nothing too big or loud or brash. Just enough. But he follows the river. And he follows the angel. And the angel measures off another thousand cubits. And now it's knee deep. Well, you know, we're getting into Baptist territory now. We're not sure. It's getting a bit deeper. So he's up, to his, he's up to his knees and he's walking in the river and still the river is flowing east. I'm sure he was thinking to himself, you know, God's just doing this to kind of keep me on my toes. This river's going to start flowing to all the good people soon. But it doesn't. It just keeps flowing east. The angel measures off another thousand cubits and now he's up to his waist well and truly into scary, bapticostal territory. I mean, if you don't keep your feet, you could get swept away by this river. He measures off another thousand cubits, and now it's a river that you cannot cross by walking. You can only swim. A river deeper than anything anyone has really ever seen in terms of the life of God. And there's Ezekiel, he's up to his neck in water, he's trying to swim, and the angel picks him up out of the water and puts him on the banks. At the point where his feet are off the bottom, where he no longer has the capacity to control what the life of God is doing with him, all he can do is go with the life of God He's put on the banks of the river, and there on the banks are many trees. And the trees are for supernatural provision and supernatural healing. Isn't that interesting? When God provided this place, your feet were off the bottom, and you couldn't control it. You can't control that kind of provision. You've just got to swim and hope you stay afloat. But here it is. And when you see healing among you, do you think that's because you know how to control the power of God? Good response. Of course not. When you start to see healing and miracles among you, which, of course, is what you would expect if you're disciples, because we're expected to see the things that Jesus saw. It's because our feet are off the bottom. Now, this is not a torrential river in the sense of, you know, two nights ago trying to drive through Houston. What was that? I mean, we got out of the car to try to walk to the restaurant, and... 
I mean, every vehicle just decided that they wanted to rebaptize us. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, we were literally covered from head to toe. By the time we got to Aladdin, have you been to Aladdin? That little kind of really cool place. So anyway, um, this river, it's quite possible for the people in the river to go the other way. It's not like you're being swept away right now. You can go the other way and you can get back up to your waist and you say, okay, you know, let's just do this. Or you can go back into your, your knee depth or even back to ankle depth. You can, you can do that if you want to. And sometimes, you know, when, when you've experienced the things that you've experienced, you, you kind of want to go, do you know what? I, I think, should we just go back for a little while? Or, or you say, I like these trees. I like these trees. I think we'll just stay here for a bit. Let's just see what God's going to do to provide for us and take care of us and be nice to us. But the river is still flowing and inviting you into its flow. So you get back in the river. And you begin to hear the voice of Jesus. It's this great roar. And you think, what is that? It's a, it's a roaring voice of many waters, spoken about even in Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, where it says, Jesus speaks with the voice of many waters. What does that mean? It means he's speaking with the voice of a waterfall. Now, here's the thing. The topography that Ezekiel is speaking of is a topography that is unique in all the world. If the river was to flow across the mountains of Judea, it would come to a place where it would fall down the deepest ravine on planet Earth. The Jordan Rift Valley is the lowest point on the planet. And at the bottom of it is a place called the Dead Sea. And it is the lowest point on planet Earth. And if that river flowed down, down that rift valley into the base of that valley, it would, it would fall the height that is four times the height of Niagara. Imagine. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, it makes a big, big sound, an enormous booming sound. This is four times bigger. And wherever the river goes, it brings life. And so the river flows down from the Judean uplands into the Jordan Rift Valley and fills the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is dead until the river comes there and it becomes alive and full of every kind of fish. And there are places for spreading nets in every part of that, of that location. Where it was once dead, it's now alive. So here's the thing. The river of God is always flowing towards the lost. And as it flows towards the lost, it's always flowing towards, in Hebrew, the Arabah, which means the great 
depression. Where's the Great Depression around here? My guess is that there are places that you would call the Great Depression around here. We were in the Third Ward yesterday. It's pretty close to the Great Depression. The river is flowing there. And it's flowing there because it's going to bring life. It's flowing there because it's going to produce and create fish of every kind, like the fish of the great sea. And there'll be many places for spreading nets. But here's the thing. To get from the temple to the new sea full of fish, you have to go down the waterfall. The waterfall that speaks with the voice of Jesus and says, come, go with the flow. Come, go with the flow and flow into the deepest and darkest places of Houston. But here's the problem. No one can survive the fall. How could you survive the fall down that waterfall? I mean, people went down in barrels and stuff, didn't they, down Niagara? Imagine, four times the height... It doesn't matter what the barrel looks like, you're not going to make it. You'd look like strawberry jam at the bottom. But here's the thing. In the river, you can't die. So the great conundrum for the faithful Christian is this. I can't survive the fall, but I can't die if I stay in the river. And you have to decide, is it faith or is it fear that's going to define you? Is it the fall that will kill you or the river that will revive you that defines your life? Is this making sense to anybody? I mean, I know you're Lutherans, but you're allowed to speak to me, you know. Does this make sense to anybody? Do you see what Ezekiel is saying to us? Do you see what Ezekiel is saying to you right now, right here? This is the word to you. This is the picture of greatest clarity of what it is that God wants to do among you. You can't die in the river, but you can't survive the fall. And so you choose faith. And you choose to stay in the river. And you choose to find the destination of the river, which is many fish. How wonderful will that be? And then there's this, this little thing at the end that um, Ezekiel gives us, just as a little challenge before he signs off the whole of his book. He says, but the swamps and the marshes he leaves for salt. What does he mean by that? Well, leaving for salt in the Old Testament means to leave for God's judgment for a future time. And what a marsh and a swamp is, is where a river has flowed and slowed and eventually stopped. And so, if you're choosing anytime soon, to benefit from the life of the river, 
but choosing not to go with the flow of the river, then you're choosing first the sticky existence of the marsh, and then finally the deadening existence of the swamp. The river's flowing here. Stay in it. The river's moving here. Move with it. The river is going towards a destination, towards the foreigners, the sinners, the lost. Go with it. And as you do, you'll find the trees on the banks for provision. You'll find the trees on the banks for healing. And you'll find the greatest joy of your life, sharing in the harvest of the kingdom. How marvelous will that be? Can I get an amen from anyone? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing picture of what you want to do in and through us, your children. Holy Spirit, flow from this sanctuary. Flow out of the door, Lord, and into the streets. Flow, Lord, towards the lost, towards the Great Depression. Flow, Lord, to the deadest and darkest corners of this community. Lord, let the trees flourish Let the trees of provision and healing flourish all around this community. Lord, let your river flow and let that river bring life. And may this congregation have an incredible harvest of fish for many years to come. And so, Lord, I bless them in your name, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.